Would you please stand with me, friends, as we read again the Lord's Word, reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Again, this is the Lord's Word. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated. Again, Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Now I ask once again that your blessing be upon it and we pray for the presence of your spirit to bless your word and to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the seed of this word and that you will help us, we pray, asking all of this now again in Jesus' name. Amen. We will be covering only verse 8 today. I get about eight pages in as I'm writing, and I think I can't do this to them. Someone noticed that there was a clock on the back wall. I put that there myself. Nobody else did that. I heard somebody say that there was a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation, and I didn't. You might not think it so, but I I really do try uh, to not make it any more painfully long uh, than it needs to be. Some of you may have seen me today um, speaking to the children of the church. Between Sunday school and worship, I had the children of the church come in here and sit down. There are covenant children, and I I spoke to them. Uh, It can be a very difficult thing for our children to do what they should do. Um, Perhaps you can remember what it was like for you when you were a child. When they join the church or when they come in and we baptize them, I always charge the congregation with this. This is out of our our book of church order. But I ask this. As this child is baptized into Christ and becomes a member of his visible church, the whole congregation is obligated to love him and receive him as a member of the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body and therefore are members of one another. Christ claims this little child as his own and calls you to receive him in love and commitment. Therefore, you ought to commit yourself before God to assist him and his parents in his Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith. With the uh, information and consent of the parents, I sat them down to remind the children this morning that worship is a very special thing. We meet with our God, who is unseen, yet very much present with us, 
in this place, which is set apart for this very special purpose that we call worship. This is one of the reasons, friends, we're urging you not to bring food and drink into this sanctuary. We don't want the children, and and perhaps you noticed this last week, we don't want the children running around in here treating the rostrum, which is this area up here, uh, treating it as though it's a playground or a gymnasium. Rather, we want to encourage these little um, covenant children to be respectful, to be mindful of others, and to try to sit through the worship service. You can imagine how difficult that is for children. Here I am, their pastor slash grandfather, and I think I had the most difficult time of all when I was a child not to run. They're bursting with energy, they're consumed with wonder, excited to see one another, excited to see their friends. I'm, I'm, I completely understand this. As one of our uh, elder gentlemen said this morning, yeah, by next week, it'll all be forgotten. <laughs> and, and it might be, and, and that's the reality, is that we say these things, um, it's not easy, they will have to be reminded, they will struggle, and they will grow and mature. You know, the funny thing is, I've been in this building alone by myself, and I have not, I have not submitted to the temptation to run. <laughs> Maybe it's my age, I don't know. Um, I don't have that temptation anymore. But they're children. This is their nature. And if they're not yet regenerate, they very much are controlled by their flesh. And if they have been born again, while sin doesn't have dominion, yet they still struggle to want to see what's behind the curtains behind me or in this little door right over here. That's a crawl space in case anyone wants to go into it later. You make arrangements with me, and I will let you go into the crawl space. Um, But it's a temptation is my point. They still struggle. Um, They are little works in progress. And I'm delighted that we have so many little children, and we ought to be, um, because they are the next generation of elders and deacons and godly men and women who are the next generation of those who will hold up Jesus Christ. And so we ought not uh, uh, look down upon them as, oh, what a nuisance. Friends, you and I were both nuisances when we were little. They're a blessing to us, and the Lord says this. Many of us are uh, regenerate, and some of us perhaps are still in an unregenerate state. Uh, we are no different than these children. Think about it. We are no different than these children. We're bigger. Our struggles take on a different flavor. You may not be tempted to want to crawl under the floor on your belly uh, avoiding and dodging cobwebs. That's, you know, the struggle that you, you, you don't face that. Our children may face that, but your struggle may be a struggle with the tongue. But it's a struggle nonetheless. Our children are battling their flesh just like the older people are battling their flesh. This is the reality of, of living in this life and of living in this world. There is no victory over sin uh, apart from life in Christ. But these children are no different than we are. 
We have come again today to this passage and are instructed yet again to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I thought it a rather an appropriate similarity because we experienced the children last week running like crazy people through the uh, sanctuary. And yet we experience the flesh as adults just like the little children do. So we've come to this passage and are instructed yet again to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's important, not just for the children, but for all of us. And we start by remembering what we once were, just a few scripture passages here. Ephesians 2.1, we are told, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul would say to the Christians here in Colossae, and in them, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. That is, they walked or lived according to the members of their sinful flesh. You see, children, my grandchildren, you see grown-ups struggle with the same things that you struggle with, too. We can identify with these children because we struggle with our own flesh. That's what they were. And Paul says to the saints in Corinth, saying this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's what he says of those Christians in Corinth. Listen to what he says of those Christians in Colossae in chapter 2 where he says, And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You remember what you once were. What you once were in the flesh. Just think back prior to coming to Jesus Christ. What were those sins? What was that path that you were on that you know had the Lord not intervened, you would have been in jail today. You would have been a mess today had Jesus Christ not stepped in. That's what I want you to remember right now. That's the flesh. That's what we give ourselves to. That's what these children are fighting against right now in their childlike ways. That's what they fight with. And so this is true of you who have believed in Jesus Christ. This is who you are now in Christ compared to what you once were. The apostle is concerned that they be in practice what Christ has made them to be. That they would be what they are, that they would live righteous and holy lives because in Christ Jesus they have been declared righteous and have been made saints. It's important to remember this. 
And as I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking about the documentary we watched, The American Gospel, it seems that abuse always takes one of two forms. We go all this way and say, doesn't matter what I do, I'm saved by grace. You are saved by grace. I would never want to deny that. We are saved by grace alone and and Christ alone through faith in Christ alone. That's how we're saved. But saved under what? You see, and that's the, the other side, the other abuse is do, 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 and then you might just make yourself good enough. We've established that fact that you will never, ever be able to make yourself good enough to merit the favor of God. But having tasted, having, having been washed in the blood of Christ, what does he call you to do? And that's where Paul takes us now in these commands, chapter 3 through uh, chapter 4, verse 6. He gives us these things. Now, I want you to put off, and I want you to put on. I want you to turn away from sin, and I want you to put on those things which are pleasing to the Lord. That's the Christian's call, to serve the Lord with a whole heart, to serve him with all that's within us. So last week, we covered five vices that harm the individual. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Paul says to them, put them to death. This week, we are looking at another five vices that harm those around us, with which uh, the Christian must deal. And he says to them, we are to put them all aside. Listen again to verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. They are to put aside um, these vices, just as well as putting to death the list of vices that we covered last week in verse 5. Put them all aside. What does it mean? It's a word that it was used for casting off clothing. It's a very picturesque word. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, in regard to Stephen and his martyrdom, we are told this. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They took off their robes, laid them aside, because you can't very well stone somebody to death when you're wearing your robe. So they take off their robes and they stone Stephen to death. Just like some people will throw off a jacket or the day's dirty clothing, he tells them to put off all those old habits. That is the way that we used to do things prior to coming to Jesus Christ. We must renounce our former evil ways. Do you remember what you once were? I'll challenge you with this. Do you remember what you once were prior to coming to Christ? Do you still behave like you did prior to coming to Christ? Are there still things in your life that you go, oh, it's okay, I'm in Christ. I used to do this as, a, as an unregenerate man or woman, and frankly, I still do these things as a, an alleged regenerate man or woman. This is, this is not right. We shouldn't think this way. This isn't what the Lord calls us to. I will say that he is not commanding them to just be, merely be neutral. They are not merely to set aside the deeds of the sinful, sinful flesh, but as we will see in a few weeks' time, to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and humility, etc. He's not calling them to just neutrality. And I want to encourage you, A Christian is not just 
somebody who doesn't do certain things. A Christian is somebody who does. He, he responds to the Lord in obedience. He actively serves the Lord. He actively love, loves others. We will get into that. What are these vices that they were supposed to set aside like dirty clothing, clothing that was stained, as it were, by the flesh? In the first list, he worked from the presenting problem that is immorality back to what inhabited the heart. He takes it back to idolatry. Here, however, in verse 8, he works from inside a person to the presenting problem. He starts with anger, put off anger, which leads to abusive speech ultimately. The first list harms the sinner himself. The second list hurts those around you. Listen to the writer of Hebrews as he writes in chapter 12. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Jesus said this in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to the Pharisees, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. He tells them, put them all aside. Put these all aside. What? First he says, anger. Put anger aside. Now, friends, these are difficult things. I knew a guy who was a a younger man when I knew him. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm trying not to think bad thoughts. And every time I try not to think bad thoughts, bad thoughts that I don't want to think actually come through my mind and end up thinking about the thing I said I didn't want to think about. And it becomes one of those conundrums where how how do I handle the anger that I wrestle with, the anger that seems to burn in my soul? What do I do with this? What is anger? One commentator said it's the natural disposition, temper, character, it's movement or agitation of soul, impulse, desire, and violent emotion. Anger is an emotion. It's an agitation of the soul, a strong feeling of displeasure. It is like this steady burning that takes place in our very souls. Anger may be justified. It might be a righteous anger, such as we see in our Lord uh, when he, in John 2, he turned over the money tables and he made a, a, a scourge of cords and he drove the money changers out of the temple. He says, zeal for my father's house had, had consumed him. In anger, he goes in there and he drives them out. This is righteous anger. It's justified anger. Perhaps your anger may be a justified anger. You see sin or unrighteousness and injustices performed, and you are angered by them. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an an opportunity. It is possible to be angry and not to sin. But notice that Paul says very quickly, Don't let the sun set on it. Don't let the matter shut down. Don't move on. For you older people, stop stuffing it. There's nothing noble about stuffing your anger and saying, well, I'm just not going to deal with it. No, you are going to deal with it, and I'll tell you why, because it's going to come out. You can only stuff things for so long. 
you deal with it while you have the opportunity. Otherwise, we give the devil an opportunity. So it is possible to be angry and not sin, but again, we must be careful because even a justifiable anger can lead to sin. Deal with it quickly. Anger may, however, be unjust. And that would be things such as not getting your way, unmet expectations or disappointments. And rather than leading to and producing something good, it results in harm, destruction, or injury to one's neighbor. Right? The idea that the Lord Jesus has saved us and that every man is an island unto himself, we lose that. Even as I opened up this message with reminding us of our covenant vow to our children as a body of believers, this is part of the membership understanding, is that we take on, we get engaged in each other's lives. If you've been married, you understand that the person you marry sometimes does things that drive you nuts. And what do you do? You deal with it. You better deal with it. Because eventually, if you don't, walls are built and division occurs. That dynamic is no different in the body of Christ. Right? Anger is either just or it's unjust. Um, Secondly, he says, uh, wrath, put it aside. Anger and wrath overlap in meaning. Uh, This wrath is the idea of passion, angry heat, anger forth with boiling up and soon subsiding again. One commentator said, it's a quick temper. So you have anger, and then out of that anger comes the quick temper. Who lets the tea kettle sit too long on the stove? You know if you do, what happens? It begins to scream, right? That's the picture of anger and wrath together. These quickly feed over or lead over to malice, that is ill will or a desire to injure. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 and 18, we read this. And the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him and what he said. And then in verse 18, we're told, but Jesus perceived their malice. Malice is when you've got it out for somebody and you're like, I'm just waiting for them to slip up. And when they do, pow, I'm going to give it to them. That's what we see the Pharisees doing here with Jesus. They're always lurking behind a bush, a wall. They're standing off to the side. They're seeing if he's healing on the Sabbath or or what he's going to do. They're going to trap him in his words. Always, always meant to harm him. Always meant to harm him. That's malice. And the malice leads to slander, which is the word blasphemy. We typically think of this as pertaining to a misuse of the Lord's name. However, uh, we, we slander each other. We slander others. And so this is the idea of, of detraction, of speech that injures another's good name. When we destroy the reputation of another person by putting them in an unfavorable light with our words. That's slander. And last, it leads to abusive speech. Notice that slander is what we do when we talk about someone else to other people. Abusive speech is what we pour out on the individual themselves. It's foul speaking, low or obscene speech, shameful speaking, you worthless, good-for-nothing piece of trash. You see what that does? 
And it all stemmed from anger. That's where it starts. These things start in the heart, and they they burble out of our heart, and they come out of our mouth. Paul says we need to put these things off. We need to lay them aside like a dirty garment. We're supposed to lay them aside. And not just some of them, friends, but all of them. Meaning you are not a Christian permitted to hold on to anger as long as you control your tongue. The anger that you have will bring forth fruit, either productive, constructive fruit, as when it's a righteous anger and you go and deal with that anger in a righteous manner. You correct the error. Um, Or it's an unjust anger that's not dealt with and it leads to destruction and defilement if it is nursed and undealt with. He commands them again, friends, to put them aside. This is what we used to wear before we were in Christ. This is the way we used to handle our anger, right? Before I was a Christian, I'd slug my brother if he made me mad. I wouldn't dare slug my brothers now. They'd slug me back. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you, would, you would be in harm's way, right, if you, did, if you acted like this. Now, you don't do this when I was... Before I was a believer, I, I, I handled, you know, you might throw something against a wall, even as a believer. I've kicked cups, I've thrown cups. You, get, you kick the garbage can, slam the door, slam something on the countertop, right? Is that, that how we do it now? Or do we use our words? Do we try to correct error? He commands them um, to put aside, lay these things aside. Don't. Don't wear these things like you used to. But now that you are in Christ, we are not to give ourselves over to these anymore. Many of us struggle with anger. I think it's in part because we have sissified our culture. Don't talk about it. Don't deal with it. Just stuff it. Don't be a mean person. Nice people, they don't deal with problems. That's the problem. We idolize being nice more than we do being obedient to what the Lord says. Anger's a problem. It's a problem in our culture. It's a problem in the Lord's church. Let me ask you this. What is the source of your anger, assuming that you struggle with it? What is the cause of anger? When do you feel your juices start to burble? And you, what is the hot button that when your spouse brings up that subject or, or somebody brings up this, this matter, what is it that causes you to start to become inflamed and you feel the, your toes curl? Is this anger a just anger? Or is it an unjust anger? Is it an anger caused by righteous things that you see not being done? Unrighteous things you see being done? Is it a righteous anger, a just anger, or is it an unjust anger? Have you done anything about the anger? This is where now, with this text, this is what Paul says. In my mind, I get stuck on a verse with that question of how. How do you deal, how are you supposed to deal with these things? We're so used to doing things a certain way. Children are so used to going into a building that's big and spacious and they want to run. You see the similarity there? This is what they're used to. How do we train them 
not to run? How do we train them to start thinking about other people? How do you handle anger? You're used to handling it one way. Prior to coming to Christ, you handled anger this way. You blasted people. You clammed up. You threw things. You kicked things. You pouted. How did you do it? Are you better off? Or did you leave a wake of destruction in your path? These are the questions. Ask yourself this. Is my anger that I struggle with, is it a righteous anger? Or is it an unrighteous anger? You have to ask yourself that. Have you done anything about it? Have you gone to, uh, to seek out, to correct the error, to retrieve the erring brother or sister? If no, you need to. If yes, and yet it didn't go anywhere, it didn't go anywhere good, are you trusting then now the matter to the Lord who will correct the wrongs? And are you praying for that individual overcoming evil with good as we've been instructed in Romans 12? What do you do with your anger? Or do you prefer to just stew and fume over things that have taken place? I would urge you to be very careful because nothing ever good comes from stewing on anger. If your anger is not just, I ask you this, and these are supposed to be searching questions for you to just examine your heart and to search and pray about. If your anger is not just, why are you angry? Does it come from a sense of self-centeredness and self-entitlement? People don't treat you the way you like. You've been disappointed by people or unmet expectations. Do you ever stop to consider how blessed you are? Do you ever stop to thank the Lord for his providence unfolded in, his, in your life? Contentment is a very difficult thing for us, isn't it? Contentment is a difficult thing. We look around and we say, gee, if I had that. I struggled with that for a while. I really did. As a pastor, I, I live in a house. I drive old cars. And, and I see shiny new trucks. And I see big properties. And I say, boy, I would love to have a big piece of property too. Wouldn't that be great? And you start to feel sorry for yourself. You don't have property like other people do. And then I was reading one day in the scriptures, do you know which tribe it was that didn't get an allotment of land? The Levites. And you know why? Their privilege was to be able to serve in the temple. Boom, I felt convicted. You sorry sack of trash, what is your problem? Do you not understand the privilege you have of being a pastor, of being able to handle the word of the Lord? Do you not understand that the Lord has called you to do this? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. And I've seen this often with many pastors where they bemoan the fact, oh, I'm just a pastor. No, you're not, man. You're a pastor. You're a soldier of the Lord Jesus and your job is to get out there and serve those people love them like the Lord Jesus lay your life down and your reward is awaiting you sometime when you arrive in heaven stop feeling sorry for yourself you know what pastors aren't the only ones who do this you all do it I'm a girl I'm a guy I'm stuck in a white man's skin and I'm the bottom of the totem pole I'm a woman I'm treated like trash in the culture guess what friends everyone's got it going on 
Everyone is struggling with something. They really are. Do you ever stop? You're angry. Your anger is unjust. Do you ever stop and just stop and thank the Lord for his providence unfolded in your life? Or do you nurse discontentment and pride and think of all that you should be getting and don't? And do you find fault with everyone else around you? Those would be unjust things to be angry about. And you should repent. And you should ask forgiveness. And you should start giving thanks to the Lord for the things that he has done rather than complaining about the things you don't like. You hear me? This is how we are called to deal with anger. In Ephesians, just a couple of pages over, we read this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. But pastor, and I agree with you, but you don't understand me. You see, I'm Irish. And in case you're Irish, I didn't pick on you on purpose, you say, but pastor, I'm Italian. But pastor, I'm German. <laughs> I tried to, my people tried to conquer the earth how many times, right? Um, I have these things, we're, we're passionate people, or, or this is just who I am, I've always been this way. And I want to say to you, congratulations, you're just like everyone else. Everyone else can say the same thing. We dealt, as, an, as, as a session years ago, we dealt with an issue um, where an individual did not want to work. He said, I can't work. And it's, it's hard, and, and I can't do it. And I remember going back to, to 2 Timothy, uh, Thessalonians 3.10, where Paul writes, if someone is not willing to work, they don't get to eat. And I remember reading that, that he said, um, if you're not willing to work, of course, unless you have ADHD, then you're, you're, you're excused. And it's a serious thing. Because we, we find all sorts of excuses to justify our sin and our disobedience. But this is just who I am. This is what I wrestle with. Friends, can I tell you this? Newsflash. Every single person in this sanctuary, outside this sanctuary, outside in the Lord's church, throughout the nation, throughout the world, every single one of us is wrestling with sin. I'm slow. You wouldn't know it by the speed of my mouth, but I am slow. And I have to make myself go fast. Slowness is not a bad thing. Slowness by procrastination is a bad thing. I have to repent of things every single day. Self-pity, I have to repent of, of, of every day. Worry, anxiety, I have to repent of every single day. You look at pictures of me as a child. My, my brows are furrowed. I was a worrier then. That's just who I am. No, stop it. You've been set free. Stop being a worrier and start being a man of faith. Read the word, trust the word, believe the word. And you see, it's no different for me. It's no different for you. Anger may be a sin you struggle with. What are you to do with it? You're to repent. You're to turn away from it. That anger will eventually lead to something that blows up into something ungodly. 
an un, unhealthy for the church. Listen to Romans. And I'm, I am truly almost done here, friends. Remember, I started late. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. That idea of being done away means that sin is made powerless. There is no excuse that is valid for a believer living in his sin. We struggle. I'll grant you that. We struggle hard. But we are not bound now in Christ to have to go back to those sins. There is freedom. But it's hard. And for some of us, it's harder than others. But every one of us has their thing. We all struggle. Some struggle with anger and some struggle with the tongue. Some some with slothfulness and others with gluttony. Again, we have no excuse but must put them all aside and fight the good fight. Ask the Lord to help you. I'm serious. Do you struggle with anger? Ask the Lord, Lord, would you please help me? I'm struggling. He will help. When you fall, you ask forgiveness. Jesus Christ died because of your sin, and he died to save you, and he has not and will not fail. We look at these little children around us, and we think this should be easy for them, but it isn't. They, in their very childlike ways, are engaged in the very same thing that we are all engaged in, and that is dying to what is natural to our flesh. It's no different. We are all fighting to die to our flesh. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Put them to death. Put them all aside. And be in practice what Christ has saved us to be. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this day, for your grace and for your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to put to death these deeds of the flesh, knowing full well that dying to these things doesn't make us righteous, but it does make us to be more consistent with what we are in Christ. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his righteousness. We thank you for his conquering the grave on our behalf. And we pray now, Lord, that you would help us not to believe the lies that we are so quick to believe and to adhere to. We praise you for the freedom that you have purchased for us and pray that we would not use our freedom as a license for the flesh, but that we would use our freedom now to serve you with all that's within us. We pray that your grace be upon us as a congregation, that you will help us, Lord, to mull over these things and grant us, Lord, to imitate the one who gave his life for us in whose name I pray these things now. That precious name of Jesus. Amen.